Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Today, I wanted to dedicate an episode to Black History Month and take time to celebrate achievement, achievements in tennis and an organization which has been created to drive diversity, inclusion, create opportunities, and equity in the sport of tennis. Joining me today to talk about the American Tennis Association is Robert Foster and Marty Woods. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you for having us. I'm fumbling my words. I need a little more coffee, I think. Um, <laughs> well, I have orange juice. Oh, nice. All the vitamin C. We have a lot to chat about today. I really appreciate you joining me. Marty, you are always such a great connector in the world of tennis. I emailed Marty. I said, we got to do a Black History Month episode. What you got? And this is uh, what has manifested. So I want you guys both to introduce yourselves and sort of explain how the ATA came to be a part of your life. And then we'll go into depth about the ATA and all of that. So Robert, why don't you jump in and start us off? I don't know you as well as I know Marty. So give me your background. How's tennis been in your world? How did you get started? And then how are you associated with ATA? Well, my background is, uh, is finance. Uh, I, my accounting career started with, uh, with an accounting firm, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Uh, from there, I went to work for a local firm as a partner. And then from work, there, I went to work for one of the large defense contractors dealing in hedge, hedge, hedge accounting, uh, international finance. Uh, I was my territory for a while. There was the Middle East, uh, uh, meaning Abu Dhabi uh, and Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, mostly dealing in, in foreign currency uh, hedging. Uh, statutory filing in these in these regions, and I got involved in tennis because I had some friends that played the game. Now I had picked up a racket in my twenties, you know, of course, going out there, and, and I was athletic. At least I thought I was. <laughs> and then in my forties, uh, and at Sentinella uh, at Ed Benson Park here in L.A., some guys I know said, "Well, let's go play some tennis, some doubles." So I went down. I was embarrassed, totally <laughs> embarrassed. And, you know, I, my pride was hurt. So I, uh, there, was a, there was a coach there. His name was Don Bly. So the coach took me in and started giving me lessons. And, and I caught the bug. It's, it's funny because I was playing golf before I got into tennis. But I just couldn't get the, uh, uh, the athletic rush that you get from tennis, you know. And so I, I, got, I got addicted. I love that. I actually have been having a lot more conversations with people that are making big waves in the tennis world right now that have gotten into tennis later in life. And it's kind of really cool to see that you are working in this like world that's very serious and like lots of <laughs> that's above my pay grade. But then you came into tennis and absolutely fell in love with it the way that most of us you know, that are still in the sport, love the sport, and now are doing so many great things within the sport. So that's very cool to hear. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> but in a way, you know, you start late, then I'll carry this the rest of my life, you know, right? the love of the sport, and just trying to be an ambassador for the sport, you know, to our to our younger generation. Definitely. And Marty, why don't you give us a quick little bio? We'll link 
the episode that we did, I think it's been like two years now, uh, with yes. you and talking about the Pete Brown tennis junior program, which I still love and like always holds a space in my heart. And I always speak fondly and love following you on Instagram and seeing all the achievements that you guys are doing. So how, what's your background? How did tennis start for you? And where are you now? Well, I, of course I was a small, a young man. I was six years old and I grew up in a tough community. Me, myself, and my siblings were on our way to the community park, and Pete Brown approached us and asked us if we would like to learn the sport of tennis. And, you know, back in those days, it was kind of tough because uh, African-Americans really didn't play the sport. It was kind of a foreign sport to us. So we thought about it for a minute. And what got us was the free tennis racket that he kind of held up. And he said, hey, you guys come on over. We got a free tennis racket. So, of course, we, we, we jumped over. Um, and the next day I went home and our moms came back and my mother came back and signed us up and it was a safe haven for me in a tough community pretty much until I got to college. Um, and Pete was instrumental in helping me pick a college. Um, of course he prepared me on the court and off the court. Um, so, you know, I was ready to, you know, to receive these blessings and it was just big. And unfortunately, Right around 2008, 2009, Pete started getting sick and he passed away. And I felt I needed to do something to keep his legacy alive in the community. That kind of gave me an opportunity. So I started the Pete Brown Junior Tennis Program, um, partnered with, with great folks like you guys at Tennis Warehouse, a few other organizations. And right now we've pretty much, we've got six kids into Division One colleges that we've prepared with our Pete Brown Prep, college prep program. Of course, we prepared them on the court and making sure their skills were developed. And I'm proud of that record. I could say right now we're, we're batting a thousand. Yeah. So this year we have two seniors that have not made their decision yet. So I'm okay. not going to jump the gun, <laughs> but they do have it narrowed down. So hopefully we'll be making that announcement soon. But, but yes, I'm just enjoying the journey. That's awesome. And we actually, you know, obviously we're tennis players and tennis fanatics at Tennis Warehouse. We were talking about your one of your players that was at Berkeley, but just transferred to LSU, right? Yes. Yes. So we follow them closely and definitely have chatter and they're like, oh, that's so awesome. I I don't know. LSU is a pretty I mean, Berkeley is an amazing program, but LSU is a pretty amazing program, too. So it's been fun to watch the success and see like some of these younger players just starting. And then all of a sudden they're like signing college scholarships. So very cool. Yes. And it was really just quickly. It was really a blessing for, for Kent is who you're, you're referring to because he actually finishes undergrad at Berkeley and now he's doing his master's and playing tennis at LSU. So that was big. So thanks for, thanks for bringing that up. Of course. That's amazing. Well, how did you two meet? I'm hoping that there's like an ATA connection and then we can go from there, but maybe, oh, maybe it's a fun story. How did you two meet? Well, I'll let Robert take yeah, it. Uh, you know, the Pete Brown program, you know, Marty is really a visionary uh, because he has a vision to take what Pete Brown had and to take his legacy and move that forward. Mm-hmm. When you look at the programs around the country, this is a 100% volunteer organization they have at the Pete Brown, and the lessons are free. And so I got involved by going over and, and to see what was going on with the program and introducing myself to Marty. And Marty just basically, you know, well, you know, Marty. <laughs> yeah. 
a giving, open, easy to approach person. And we just hit it off because, you know, our missions are the same. Uh, the American Tennis Association, you know, and you're speaking of Black History Month, uh, started by a gentleman named Carter G. Woodson in Washington, D.C. He was actually the second Ph.D. graduate of Harvard after W.B. Du Bois in 1912. And so give you the, uh, the lay of the land at that time. Imagine this in um, 1896. You had a Supreme Court case uh, called Plessy versus Ferguson. And what that did was to say that you could be separate but equal. And so it, it basically started to institutionalize segregation in the society. Now, tennis, uh, the United States Law and Tennis Association at that time, which began about uh, 1881, and so that was totally segregated that the blacks were not allowed to participate. Now in 19, uh, uh, 1916, the American Tennis Association was formed uh, at, a, at what was called the Colored YMCA on 12th and U in Washington, DC. Now you had some very affluent uh, middle-class, what we would say the, the upper crust, uh, society type folks uh, in 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 uh, in America, they got together because there had been a circuit of of tournaments, but they were not connected by a national organization, and that had been going on since the 1890s. I know so a lot of people don't know that uh, Booker T. Washington, uh, who started the Tuskegee Institute, he built a couple courts in the late 1890s at the university. So here we are in the colored YMCA, and it was started by a guy uh, named Anthony Bowen, who in 1853, he bought his own uh, freedom, and he started this YMCA. So that YMCA, the colored Y, the 10th Street YMCA has been around since then, and it's in a neighborhood called the Shaw District. And that that and, and coincidentally, Robert Shaw led the raid. He was a white he was a white officer who led all of these colored troops on the raid the uh, the raid on Fort Wagner. And there was a movie called Glory that Denzel Washington and a lot of folks made famous. That was Robert Shaw who who led that. But anyway, back in 1912, these guys got together and they said we have got to come up with a national program or a national organization so that we will have a place to enjoy or an organization where we can fellowship and enjoy this game that they fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And so they form, which is now the oldest African-American sports organization in the country. Imagine tennis is the, is the oldest uh, uh, national uh, African-American sports organization. And, and so you see, because of the segregation laws, which it was Plessy versus Ferguson, which, now think about this, that was the law of land until 1954 when you had the Brown versus Board of Education. And then uh, imagine that anyone, and in the 60s you had, so imagine anyone born between the 50, 1950s and the, and, and the 1970s, they still had a sense of, of, of this sad legacy that was put in the law by the uh, Supreme Court in uh, 1896. So that kind of gives you a flavor 
of Black History Month and Carter G. Woodson, you know, who, who started, uh, who, it was only a week then, it was called Negro History Week, uh, started, uh, I think, the first week in February. And his goal was just to have Black history celebrated. Mm -hmm. and, and, and hopefully his thought was that public educators would pick that up. I know he would be very proud to see what has happened now. Now you have some people say, well, why do we need Black History Month? Now remember, put yourself in, 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 in uh, 1906, or, or what was it, uh, uh, 1926 when he started this. 1926, you had had the red race riots of 1920. Here we are in 1926. And he just wanted to have uh, uh, that time Negro, Negroes to look at themselves to celebrate some of their accomplishments, because if you looked at the school system there, they probably weren't being published. So it's more of a celebration than, than saying, hey, we need a month to celebrate. Our, no, we want a month where it was a week, but a month now so that we can make everyone aware and, and educate the world on what's going on, much like you have uh, Hispanic Heritage Month now, you have the, the Pacific Islanders, everything. We even have uh, every every segment gets to have uh, you know a celebration, even St. Patrick's. You name it. So it was nothing more than that. That's <laughs> I love this. I love this. I'm like, oh, um, that's amazing. But it's and I I feel like this is so cliche, but huh. it's not been that long since all of that was happening. Yeah. And, that's and right. It's I mean, wild. Uh, I mean, Michelle, think about it. You know how long it takes for a uh, sense. Of uh, uh, the mental, the, the 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 mental pain to go away. You know, we all have it. You know, and I think I think, and I talk to some of my friends. I say we all have these built-in biases, and we all have these built-in blinders. You know, when you look at the 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 white societies at large, you say, well, they have privilege. Well, I say to my friends, yes, that is true, but they were born into that. Much like we were born, all of us who can walk are in wheelchairs. We have privilege. I can go to a restroom sometimes and I don't see a button. So if someone is in a wheelchair, you know, they can't get in. But oftentimes we who have that privilege of being able to walk, we don't even notice them. It's almost as if they don't exist. And so, you know, I, I tell people there's a difference from uh, uh, being privileged and, a, and, a, and being a negative person by nature. And, and that's the type of thing that, you know, Carter G. Woodson was trying to do is to have something that would get into the public education discourse uh, that it would educate the kids. Because he said, you know, and this is, these are his words, he talked about uh, people who were committing lynchings at that time. He said, well, they, they had to learn it from somewhere. They had to learn that behavior. From somewhere. And a lot of it comes in how well they're being educated uh, uh, in the school system. And, and, and so that, 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 you know, so it's because of him, you know, that uh, we're all getting so educated and we're becoming more sensitive um, to, to other people. And I think the beautiful thing about tennis, you know, it's really about a meritocracy once you get out there on that court. Mm -hmm. And when we get programs, you know, like Pete Brown, who are pulling all of these kids from the underserved community on the court. You have white kids, you have Asian kids, you have all these kids. Once they get on that court, 
color, you don't even think about color. You think about getting that ball and winning that point and, and sportsmanship, things like that. I don't want to get on the soapbox there, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The soapbox is all yours. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's it's true. And I was going to say, I grew up, I was born in the early 80s, and I grew up, luckily, with amazing athlete role models. But I'm thinking of all the strong Black tennis players that I grew up watching, whether it was Shanda Rubin, Venus and Serena, James Blake, it's really cool to see like so many of these athletes that have had a huge impact on the sport. Maybe you can talk to me about even some athletes that aren't on my radar or maybe aren't as famous or as popular, or maybe not at, maybe they're a bit older. Cause I know the ATA website has a ton of profiles on amazing athletes who have kind of paved the way and like maybe been the leaders in tennis. And yeah, there, there, there are a tremendous amount. Um, let's see here. Oh, Arthur Ashe. I forgot about Arthur Ashe. Well, Sorry. Well, well, <laughs> those, uh, those are the ones that are well known. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy who just passed uh, last year. Uh, his name was uh, Robert Ryland, Bob Ryland. Now, Bob Ryland lived to be 100 years old. Now, he was considered the first uh, black professional uh, tennis player. By professional, I mean, remember, um, the open era didn't start until 69, six, 1969, 1968, where the, uh, the, at that time, it was called the United States Lawn Tennis Association. They didn't, they were considered uh, not a professional. They, they, they make, they pay for your, your, your travel, uh, your entry fee and all that, but they weren't considered an open, a professional uh, tournament. Well, you had a group of, I guess you would call them like uh, uh, barnstormers. They would go around and they'd have professional uh, uh, tournaments. And, and so Bob Ryland uh, was brought in, uh, I think it was Cleveland. It was a big tournament where, you know, the professional circuit, the white professional circuit brought, brought Bob Ryland in. And Bob Ryland, um, I'm working on an article now on this lady. Uh, her name was um, uh, Mary Ann Seams. They, they call her Mother Seams. Uh, now, uh, Bob Ryland was taught by Mother Seams, who migrated from Atlanta, Georgia, to Chicago during the great African-American migration. And this was about 1906. And she and her husband, in segregated Chicago, they bought property in the segregated south side of Chicago, and they built four tennis courts next to their house. And so Mother Seams, she is considered the mother of African-American tennis in Chicago. And Bob Ryland, who worked with Arthur Ashe, Thea Gibson, they are uh, you know, part of that African-American uh, tennis milieu, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Zena Garrison, you know, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. can mention Zena Garrison. Um, well, you know, when you look at James Blake, uh, he played ATA. Coco Golf, who is mm -hmm. out there now, she played uh, uh, at our National uh, American Tennis Association uh, uh, tournament. Uh, and, and then uh, one that uh, is really, uh, we're so proud of is Katrina Adams. Mm -hmm. You know, Katrina Adams, she played, uh, at the club that Mother Seam started 
uh, 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 with a few other people uh, back in 1912 called the Chicago Prairie Tennis Club. So Katrina Adams started there. And Katrina Adams, of course, went on uh, to be the president of the US, uh, uh, USTA. She was on the uh, professional uh, women's tour. Uh, she's won titles. And now she is a champion uh, out in the community for, for, for all tennis communities uh, in the country. Yes, and just to add to that, um, don't forget uh, the legacy of, of um, John Wilkinson yes. at McGregor Park in Houston yeah. with Zena Garrison, Lori McNeil. They were huge. And one thing was we were able to, to get a, a group of kids to participate in the 100th year anniversary of the ATA in Baltimore. And we took a great young team down and we took a young lady by the name of, and you may know her, Michelle, Katrina Scott. Uh, she was 12 years old at the time. And she ended up sweeping through the, the open draw and the junior draw and winning the championship. And then right after that, of course, she, she went and she turned pro at an early age at 17. And she's now on a professional tour. And back but when I was coming up, it was exciting for me to get to the ATA also because we always wanted to see who the next up and coming play, black players were. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to throw that in. But, but you're doing a great job, Rob. Rob. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, Tag team. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. We, have a, we have a local uh, tennis legend, uh, Maurice Hunter. I wanted to give a shout out to Maurice because Maurice, he uh, started in Detroit, Michigan, Mumford High School, and they had an outstanding standing group of talent there. And so Maurice Hunter uh, played the circuit. I, I heard that Maurice was even playing the senior uh, uh, tennis circuit now. So Maurice Hunter is one of our lo local legends. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, we had a guy back in the 40s. There was a, a, white, a white tennis champion. His name was Don Budge. And so Don Budge went into Harlem uh, there was a club called the Cosmopolitan Club. Now, this is kind of like, uh, remember now, within the African-American, with all, within all the societies, we have, uh, and when you look at, and when you introspect and you look at uh, the intra-community, uh, uh, there was the elite uh, uh, folks in the African-American community in Harlem, and they played at the Cosmopolitan uh, Club. But Don Budge, he played, a young man from Los Angeles. His name was uh, Jimmy McDaniels. So Jimmy McDaniels went to college at Xavier down in, in Louisiana, but Jimmy McDaniels was, was considered one of the best. He was undefeated. He was an ATA champion. Don, that was probably the, would be uh, the first integration of the races where Don Budge, white guy, he went into Harlem and played Jimmy McDaniel because Don Budge was not racist. Don Budge was about helping uh, the African-American community get exposed. Much like Alice Marble, who was a white champion on the female side, uh, lifted her voice to help uh, uh, get Athea Gibson to become the first African-American uh, to play uh, at a, a United States lawn and tennis association uh, championship. So I didn't mean to, uh, you know, since we're talking about some of the greats, <laughs> it is not, it is not just about that person, but those around them that helped us get there. You never get anywhere in life with someone without some, some help from someone. Oh no, totally. And I want to obviously focus on all of the positive things that have come out, but it's 
you know, part of the history that I can imagine there's, there was a lot of hardship for people. I'm sure they were dealing with a lot of negative people or people, as you kind of alluded to, were taught to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to hit a little bit on some of the obstacles that have been overcome in the last hundred years, a hundred plus years? Oh, oh, they're, they're tremendous. Uh, but one, I, you know, the obvious, uh, would be the integration, but then you have a sense of, uh, and this is where I think the ATA and, and organizations like the Pete Brown program, uh, uh, we have an advantage because culturally we are connected. We are in the community. And this is why, you know, you figure that organizations like the Tennis Warehouse wants to support a Pete Brown because they are in the community. And when you look at the bigger picture, there are approximately 21 million people playing tennis in, in this country. It's a $6 billion industry. That might be, that industry might be the size of one division of a Fortune 500 company. But when you look at, 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 at over the last hundred years, the African-American community, the Latino community, we're growing those same channels for distribution of tennis equipment, services to be part, T-shirts, all of that. And so we're part of them. We have really helped grow uh, the distribution channel in terms of commerce. Socially, when you think back that segregation was the law of the land. What we've done through, through tennis is to try and educate folks as they come in. And it's, it's, it's really a, a, a challenge, though, because I, was, I, I just kind of spoke about culture there for a minute. Culture is the one thing that keeps us all connected, like a church you go to. There may be affluent African-Americans living in Brentwood or major fancy parts of cities. But on Sunday, they will find themselves coming to their church in the hood. Barbershops, that's a cultural experience that we offer our communities. Mm -hmm. And I tell people a lot of times it's not so much about race as it is about culture. And we feel that we have an advantage and an obligation and we want to be held accountable to to be in these communities to to help these kids. And when you think about Dr. King, when you think about all of the folks who have come before us and what they've done, uh, I talked about Mother Seams. There's so many others. We have Don Bly here in our community, Pete Brown. I think about Dr. King and, you know, something he said. And, you know, he said that, you know, we all can't be famous, but we all can be great because greatness is determined by service. And, you know, we're all volunteers. And just think, some an organization that started in 1912, 100% volunteers, it is still 100% volunteer. Now, right now, we're looking at changing the model because when you look at, for example, the United States Tennis Association, they have their 17 different uh, uh, sections, uh, uh, and we have five sections, but they're not 100% volunteers. So what we have to do And what our primary uh, benefit to the tennis uh, community, as meaning the American Tennis Association, as a national organization, 
We have webinars on mental health. For example, uh, we had uh, Shelby Rogers who donated her time and she did a, 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 a webinar last month on mental health. We've had folks like uh, Leslie Allen, who is a former African-American tennis star. Uh, we have a lot of folks donating their time, not only on tennis instruction, but on mental health, education, exposing them to what are you going to do uh, with your life? Because when you look at tennis, it is not like uh, baseball, basketball, uh, uh, professional players where they're contra contract players. Uh, we're much like golf where, you know, you you kind of fend for yourself until you win. And, and so when you look at that, uh, you know, when you look over the last hundred years that you, that you, that you spoke about, we've come a tremendous way uh, as a volunteer. But now we, we, we're probably going to try and look at how can we get uh, assistance nationally to grow this organization where we have paid staff, where you don't get burnout. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you know, when you look at Marty and what he's doing, if Marty's not there, you know, he's got a group of folks, but those folks are all their volunteers. We have to plant seeds in the community to make folks aware. Will you come and be of service because you, to let your greatness shine? So to speak, as Dr. King would say, and I didn't mean to just ramble on there. But <laughs> no, <laughs> I start pulling that thread, you know. <laughs> I, I no, that's great. I love that. Um, I was hoping you could also kind of go into, you kind of hit on some of the webinars and stuff. And I just saw uh, that Shelby was there and she's such a lovely lady. That's so cool. Um, and she had a great Australian open. So really cool that she did that with you guys, but maybe you can talk through some of the other things that ATA provides. You guys keep saying ATA champion. So I, there's tournaments, Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Talk me through now, all of well, the sides of it. Now, what we do now, uh, uh, we are, as the ATA, we hold maybe two tournaments at this point. Now, think back. We are a network. In, in the 1940s, there was a, 145 clubs that were members of the American Tennis Association. Now we're down to about 30. We need to try and grow that. This is, this is nationally. Um, once the, the USTA started having adult league programs, then everybody started going to, uh, you know, uh, the uh, USTA league. And so much like HBC colleges, once uh, you had integration, you had a, a, a great thrust to attend these colleges that you were locked out of. So now you kind of have a swing where there's an aware, a cultural awareness. And so when I'm trying to describe our network, so we are a, a, a network, a confederation in a sense where we are affiliated with a lot of clubs and organizations around the country. And so what we have is a national championship that Marty had talked about, where everyone can come to this family reunion, juniors, adults, where they have a sense of family and they leave there with so much unity and goodwill, then they go back in their community, their local community, and start planting those seeds and take that energy. Uh, what we do now 
we go around the country and we look in communities and we have people send us emails, letters, uh, might be someone who lost their job, but their kids in tennis, we then will help them uh, financially. Also, recently, uh, we have kids who are playing in what's called the ITF tournaments, the International Tennis Federation. That costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. uh, there was uh, some kids, and this happens all over, and we as the ATA, we are supportive. The kids uh, need to go. The parents can't go. They call. They say, who can chaperone? Who can look out for my kids uh, as they travel? Uh, there was a tournament down in, in San Diego at the Barnes Center. And uh, so we made calls. Who's available in our ATA network that we can entrust these kids to play in the ITF tournament and, the, and, 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 and make sure that they're safe and make sure that they get back home? So when, in that sense, what we are are a network, and I guess in, in back in the old days, it would be like the Green Book of sorts. We are a network within our community to help our kids through financial aid, through chaperones, and through education. And most importantly, to teach our kids that it is all about helping others and being accountable. I hope that kind of gave you a flavor. Oh, definitely. That actually gives me a better view overview. And it makes it clear that you can exist in the ATA. You can exist in the USTA, like join for it, like be a part of both and like a strong. Yeah, I, I, I need to give a shout out to the uh, USTA Foundation. Now, the USTA Foundation is a subsidiary of the United States Tennis Association. So the United States Tennis Association used to be a 501c3. Now they're a 501c4. Uh, they, now, they then created this separate organization. But in, within that organization is the NJTL program. Mm -hmm. Now they, ha they have a lot of uh, programs around the country. But what they did for our uh, 2021 national tournament, they sponsored 50 kids around the country to come and play. So I want to give a shout out to Dan Faber, who is the ex uh, executive director, I believe, of the uh, United States Tennis Foundation. So uh, you always, we always want to give credit to those who are doing the same work that we're doing. Uh, they are in a much stronger financial position, but I want to argue that we may be in a, in a stronger cultural position. It's just that we as the ATA we don't do a good enough job of getting our message out within the community that we need volunteers, we need people to join, and we need them to go and pursue corporate sponsors so that we can take that money, put it in a restricted fund, and so that we can then get it out to our community. Because unfortunately, if you're helping people, then they think you're really doing something. They can see something financials. Uh, uh, and so the more we can do that, the more we'll get, gain the trust of people to give. So I think it's something that will uh, uh, really help in the long run. But I'm really excited, as you can tell. Yeah. And I thought it was big, too, Robert, just to piggyback, was they opened their venue to us, to, to your organization, uh, the National yeah. Campus in Florida. So That's right. I oh, thought yeah. that was huge. Oh, it, it's, and we're back there again. And they have donated in-kind donation, those tennis courts. You know, when you look at the cost of a week, 
that's about $40,000 when you look at the labor cost, all of that. And they've got 40, 40 tennis courts there. They have clay and it's just a beautiful venue. Now, what we're going to try and expand is we would like to bring the ATA National Tournament uh, to Los Angeles, to other places, because, uh, you know, people, it's a, it's a cross country and to spread our message, but that takes money. So we're looking at the Chamber of Commerce. We're looking at anyone that can work with us to help bring that. But uh, we're confident that that's going to happen, you know, but we're excited. But, the, but, but, but yeah, in our partnership with the USTA, we are part of the uh, USTA's uh, tennis industry. And so when you look at the organization, but the ATA is part of the uh, United, uh, the USTA uh, tennis industry uh, 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 little panel there. I also have to give a shout out to the ATA website. It is absolutely beautiful and has so much information. So I am going to encourage everyone. I think your website's yourata.org. That's right. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that shout out. Yeah, your ATA. And remember that the, the, the uh, we have to pay for that website. And I tell people, even though we're volunteers, uh, uh, you know, we're 501c3, uh, all of the accounting, we pay for all that. So when I say we're 100% volunteer, um, you know, you have to pay for the website stuff and things like that. So it isn't like we get it, we get the world to volunteer for. So some people think we do have to pay for it. It's a beautiful site too. So whoever <laughs> knows website development has done a good job. It's like interactive. There's the juniors playing. Anyways, um, which actually I wanted to bring up the president, the current president of the ATA is, uh, it, I obviously don't know her and you can probably talk to me more about her, but I just love seeing strong females. Um, so I thought that was really cool to see this beautiful organization, this beautiful website. And then I check about, and I see like this, this organization's being led by a strong woman. So maybe you can talk a little bit about her as well. Oh, Roxanne Aaron. Uh, she's the reason I'm involved on the board of the ATA. I, um, the, the year before the nat the uh, 100 celebration in, in Baltimore, I went to an ATA national night and I said, oh, this is really cool. So I went in and I said, you know, how can I get involved to assist? I was just thinking being on a little committee. And she had she said that she had identified me uh, as someone that could probably be on the board. Uh, she's a visionary like Marty. You have folks like Marty, Roxanne. When you meet them, you realize they're looking down the road. They're looking at how can they connect the dots to grow something. And Roxanne, she uh, was out of Connecticut uh, and she was in the Northeast. She worked in, I believe, oh, she's retired like me. Um, she worked uh, in finance as well. And uh, her kids were in tennis. And so she, she had been in the organization for years. She was the treasurer. She was this. She was that. And she is the one that says, Robert, we have to get the message out more. And she is not only uh, well-educated, but she is as down to earth as they come. And, and, and I, I am so thankful uh, for Roxanne and everyone else on the team, because um, I want to talk, give shout outs to the team, too. So I mentioned the five sections. For example, I talked about Mother's Seams in Chicago, whether there's a there's a, a organization called MidTech. And this is like the Midwest section. And they're their own entity and they're wonderful people there as well. And then you have the East, the South, 
And then, of course, PCC, which is which was was called the Western Tennis Federation, turned out uh, morphed into the Pacific Coast Championship. So Roxanne, she's going around the country out of her own dime. She goes around representing the ATA, uh, uh, speaking the gospel of what we could do and in, in the underserved communities that doesn't cost money, but to get people involved in, in terms of volunteerism. Anyone listening, this is your call to action. If you've been curious yeah. about donating your time, energy, or yeah. finances, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we have, a, oh, we're in Portland now. We uh, brought in a couple clubs um, and, 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 and uh, San Diego, we've got, we've got folks in, getting involved and it's just, it's just wonderful. And, and, you know, having this platform him just to, you never know who, who's going to be watching Michelle's show. Uh, You never know. (laughs) And I have to, Marty, I have to give you a shout out real quick because as Robert keeps alluding to, you are a visionary and you are so inspiring. And even maybe this conversation will go more offline, but this past year, I really have wanted to be able to replicate something that you have, you know, like whether it's just your holiday drive day, gift drive, tennis day, like all of that. I was, I really want to do that. I want to be the Marty Brown of <laughs> but um, it's so sometimes you just like have this great idea and it's like, wow, it's going to take a lot of resources and a lot of hard work. And I don't even know where to start. And like to see what you have built and how you give back to your community and are helping so many others in other communities. I don't know how you have time to sleep, but it's like, he's got his hands in everything and helping so many people. And it's just, it's incredibly inspiring, incredibly inspiring. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm really compassionate about this, as you know, and I see that same passion in you also. So keep doing what you're doing (laughs) because you're shining the light also. Thank you. But yeah, teach me your ways. Yep. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be like, okay, but really, no. <laughs> um, and I guess it leads me back to like, we don't need Black History Month to elevate these voices and these accomplishments. And it should be any time of the year. But I do really appreciate that this is what kind of brought this together because I feel like it's super educational, but also. Look, look at what you're doing. Look at the impact that you guys have on so many people, whether it's a junior player, someone that's now playing college, a parent, a coach, just someone volunteering their time. And, you know, sometimes just that volunteer time is what keeps us going forward. And I mean, I selfishly say, like, I love doing that stuff because, yeah, I, I'll take that little selfish, like, bump in my heart. It's like, oh, it's a good day. We're doing good things. And and we kind of spoke on this earlier. It's like that gratitude, how you move forward with your life. What is your role? Maybe you're, you're not the famous one in the spotlight, but you're spreading your good vibes and sparkle. Yeah. No, and I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you letting me have this opportunity to introduce Robert and the ATA because, you know, I think it, everybody needs to know about this organization and why they exist. So I love it. Yes. Yes. We're going to shout it from the rooftops, mm-hmm. get more mm-hmm. people involved. Um, what else? Is there anything else that we need to know? Any other stories we should talk about? I feel like I have all my notes, but I'm not sure. If we well, covered. I think Robert could talk a little bit about the upcoming event. Aren't yes. you guys have? Yes. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, on April 
24th uh, in Carson, California, uh, at the, I think it's called the Dignity uh, Sports. Uh, uh, it used to be Home Depot, but it's it's open there, um, uh, Cal State Dominguez, on April 24th between 12 and 3 o'clock. Uh, the Southern California Tennis Organization is partnering with us, uh, and they're going to sponsor bringing Katrina Adams out uh, to do a clinic for the kids. It's going to be between 12 to 3 o'clock. It is free. Also, we'll have some books to be uh, given out, and Katrina is going to autograph her, her uh, new book called Own the Arena. And uh, I've read the book. Uh, I love it. She's going to autograph it. The ATA, we're going to have a booth there to sign up uh, new members as a membership drive. And uh, we're really excited about that. Uh, we're going to try and, and do other things in the future around the country uh, by going in, doing an ATA membership drive. And people, and I, I want to point this out, uh, we have a very diverse participation, and it's not a racial thing. We have white kids, Asian kids, and parents and adults who have joined uh, joined our cause, and and either through, through donations or through memberships. I like memberships as well. I like people who, uh, you're talking, what, $25, $30 you know, um, uh, and, and, and when you look at our organization, it's much like those of you who are in sororities or fraternities. It's a it's a way uh, it's a sense of unity. And I, I don't know if you look at our, 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 our um, emblem, our ATA emblem, uh, it'll it talks about sportsmanship, unity and goodwill. That's our motto. And I think those are great values uh, to have. And so irrespective of your background, uh, what we want to do is to, um, you know, there's a mythical bird uh, uh, from, from Ghana called the Sankofa bird. And, and it's about reaching back uh, because we all have to help no matter where you, what your station is in life. You can, there's always someone you can reach back to help. And, 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 and so, but yeah, April 24th, Carson, California, 12 to three o'clock. Then also, I might as well pump our national tournament. Um, uh, July 24th, the week of July 24th at the USTA National Campus in Orlando, Florida, uh, where we it'll be a level five tournament. So you'll be able to get points, parents. Also, we're going to have a, a nice banquet at the New Wave Hotel, which is right there, um, I guess, a quarter of a mile from the camp. It's walking distance. So they got a new hotel. Also, the Western uh, Region Tournament, uh, ATA Western Region is going to be in Las Vegas that same weekend that Katrina is going to be here in L.A. Those of you who can go to um, uh, Las Vegas, there's going to be a golf tournament, pickleball, and a doubles tournament in Henderson, California. So you see, we are doing some good things. That's awesome. And we'll add all of those dates and information into this episode. So anyone listening can easily re recall it and click there. And yeah, that's, that's so cool. I have to ask, cause I did a podcast with uh, an organization in Vegas and I always feel like, like connecting people like Marty's a good connector. I, I feel like a connector also the no quit Academy, um, inspiring children, 
I don't know if you guys have ever worked with them or talked to them, but like I, I, I have not, but oh, we really? we are all about we are all about networking. Uh we are all about uh making relations because you know, planting seeds because you never know. You uh, there's there, there's a kid out there somewhere that's gonna benefit uh from our efforts, like a ripple on a pond, right? I'm I'm going to connect you guys. I will shoot an email because they align a well and it's very similar vibes and like, yes, using tennis as a vehicle to help create a well-rounded, um, happy person, individual, no matter, you know, your age, your background, your color, your anything, your identity. Our, uh, the ATA, we're just a cog on the wheel. Yes. We're about affiliation. So when, uh, like for example, the Pete Brown tennis program is, is one of our member clubs, but it's an affiliation, not a hierarchy. Right, right. And that's the thing that people have to understand. Uh, the ATA is there as a network for member clubs, non-member clubs to get their message out about growing the game, educational opportunities, because we think that education is really the key uh, to helping these kids. They all don't have to go to college, but they must develop a skill or a trade through discipline of educating themselves. And we're there for parents too. And, and sometimes parents may think it's a, uh, it's, it's a, you know, you look at organizations like Marty might be babysitting, but no, there's growth that goes on there. And, and I, I like what Marty's doing because he has parents involved there. And, you know, there's a, a gentleman, he's like the ATA historian. His name is Art Carrington. Art uh, has an academy up, up uh, not too far, uh, Amherst, up in Amherst. And Marty says, I mean, I mean, uh, Art says that, you know, you have to get the parents involved. If you get the parents involved in the program, then they will help become the lifeblood. Because the juniors, if you wait on the juniors, there's a gap. And I know, Michelle, you're probably aware of this at the tennis warehouse. When you look at the demographics in the you know the age between thirty and forty, they're not buying too many rackets. <laughs> if they are, they're buying them for their kids. And then when you get older, older group in their late forties and fifties, they're buying the pickleball rackets, the tennis rackets. So we see that too in the ATA. And what uh, you know what Art is saying that we have to go out and focus on those kid, those people in their thirties who are, are too busy working to try and, and, and how can we help them to get out there with those kids and be out there? And that's what Marty's doing in his program. And so that is, that, that's what you call boots on the ground. And we love it. Marty, anything else to add? Um, no, I just, like I said, I was really pondering on what I was going to do for this Black History Month. And this is everything I, I imagine it could be. So, and I think Robert hit all the nails um, did a great job articulating the vision, where it's going, um, some of the good things they have in place and why this thing is really viable to the, the whole, the whole globe, the, the global community, not just, you know, our little island here in, in Southern Cal. So I'm just excited about where things are going and just to kind of wet your beak a bit. And I know we'll get back together. Um, there's a real big, uh, deal. We, we have a new partnership with an organization called Laureus, which is the Osaka Play Academy. Um, so we got some really wow. good deliverables on the plates for 2022 and 2023. That'll start soon. So 
And I know that's another show because I wanted this to be <laughs> pretty much about the ATA and, and Robert's vision. So looking forward to chatting with you on that. We will definitely do so. And I want to thank you for uh, allowing me uh, to come on and, and speak on behalf of the, of the ATA. And, you know, as a volunteer, uh, I'm just thankful uh, to have an opportunity to give back in a small, world, a small way uh, uh, to our community. I, I appreciate you both taking the time and sharing. And I always kind of consume, love to consume new information and learn about new organizations that I didn't know about before a, an episode like this. And it was fun to dive in. And like I said, I learned like your website, super educational. I learned a lot just from listening to you speak. And it's, I mean, even uh, it's just what it's what it's a wild story that I like. I'm excited to continue to learn more, even just hearing about like one of the first, I mean, if I understood it correctly, one of the first coaches of tennis was a, a strong African-American woman. I'm like, let's go. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you another tidbit. Uh, the first ATA tournament was in Baltimore, uh, Maryland at Druid Hill park. And that was the first ATA tournament. Uh, on the men's side, you had a guy named Tally Holmes, a recent graduate from Dartmouth. And on the woman's side, Lucy Diggs Slow. She graduated from Howard, went to Columbia, got a master's degree in education. She started one of the oldest sororities, uh, the AKA sorority. Now, and she became the first dean of women at Howard University. Lucy Diggs Slow. I imagine they're going to do um, uh, a movie about her, uh, but 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 think about that. And 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 so there, there are just so many uh, strong women. And, and and as I mentioned, Alice Marble. This was the white champion, uh, and it was Alice Marble who spoke up to the uh, United States lawn and tennis community in a in an open letter about. Thea Gibson and 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 her 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 pitch was if baseball was integrated with Jackie Robinson, we should do the same uh, in tennis. And it was Alice Marble who stood up. It was Don Budge who said, hey, later with this, uh, you know, with this racial talk, it's about meritocracy. Let them get out there and play. Love it. Yeah, me too. Yep. That's great. I yes. Yep. Any quote, I feel like be the change is just like what's radiating from my heart right now, like be the change and like be the best version of yourself. But any, any last words that you guys can get, leave us with? Well, I like to, to leave my famous quote where I point and give all credit to the folks up above mm -hmm. and may we all be, may we all come together and may we all be blessed. And my late, my last uh, note will be to uh, let people know if you want to donate or become a member, yourata.org. You can go to our website. Michelle has already said how much she loves it. <laughs> come check, come, come check out our website. It's it's a work in progress. We want to build it. We're building our network of relationships around the country. And it's not for us, it's for the underserved communities where we can help. Awesome. And we'll link to everything and encourage everyone to go check it out and be a part of it. And keep moving forward and see this ATA grow and continue to bring people together and create this beautiful community. 
Thank you guys so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. This is an awesome episode. Super amazing. Um, as always, Marty always is like the best that brings the energy big. <laughs> oh. Thanks guys. Oh. Thank you. Talk to this folks. Talk, Talk to us. Yes. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting.